This is the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today we are talking about, not we, there's no we here, I am talking about multi-sensory reading instruction. Multi-sensory instruction. This is one of the standards that has been mandated by many states for teacher preparation programs. States including my own, such as Minnesota. We are not alone in that. And here's the thing. It is the International Dyslexia Association which has mandated states include this standard for multi-sensory reading instruction and what they essentially mean by multi-sensory reading instruction is Orton-Gillingham or similar scripted programs which are designed by for-profit entities, all part of the educational industrial complex designed not to help readers, but to make money. These are expensive programs. It wouldn't be so bad if there were valid research to support Orton-Gillingham. But there's not. And I mean support the long-term impact in students' ability to create meaning with print. And that's what we want. That's what reading is, is creating meaning with print. We want students to be able to read and understand a chapter that they read and read and enjoy a book. Creating meaning with print. Now, these programs will give you a short-term bump in skills as we would expect but there's no transfer of these skills to authentic reading contexts. Neither is there an impact on students' ability to create meaning with print. So, back to the idea of multi-sensory reading instruction. They mean multi-different uh, modalities, physical, auditory, and kinesthetic modalities. That means children see things, hear things, and do things during instruction. We call this multimodal instruction, and elementary teachers have been using multimodal instruction for years to get as many modalities involved in children's learning because we know this enhances learning of any subject. Now here's the thing. Good meaning-based reading teachers and teachers doing meaning-based reading interventions have been doing this multimodal reading instruction. However, it is meta-multimodal, meaning, yes, we get children to see things, to hear things, and to do things while they're learning to read or while we're providing reading instruction. But we also get them to imagine things, to emote things, to communicate things, to talk about things, and to think about things. So in this case, meaning-based instruction uses meta-multimodal reading instruction. There you go. And today I'm going to describe 21 strategies, and you don't have to pay me $2,000 to take a class like you do with some scripted multi-sensory programs. And you don't have to be specially trained to use these. Adopt and adapt as necessary. Students aren't going to blow up if you don't do it just the right way. So, number one, letter or letter pattern or letter tracing or word tracing. 
multi-sensory magic. You simply introduce a letter, letter sound, letter pattern, or a word. Students trace it in the air, in the sand, on paper. They hear the word, see the word, and trace the word. All right? Letter tracing or word tracing. Magic multi-sensory strategy number one. You do this probably in preschool, kindergarten, maybe in first grade. Number two, word building or onset rhyme. First, Students see a new word in the context of the sentence. This word would have a target letter or letter pattern. They see then word parts and they put them back together. That means you have little anagrams with word parts or word cards. The word is taken apart and then they put it back together. So they see the word in the context of the sentence. They hear the word as you read it together, and then they have to use letters and put the words back together using onset rhyme of some sorts, a physical manipulation. The third one is sight word strips. Oh, this is very good. You target maybe three to five sight words. You read through them together. You point to them as you read them. Then you can trace over them if you want, all right? Students see the word in the context of the sentence. Now, as they see them, they have a strip of maybe three to five words in front of them of these target sight words, or they could have a target sight word on a piece of paper or a card. As you read the sentence together, students either point to a sight word or hold up a sight word card, all right? When I do this with students, individual or small groups, I like them to have a sight word strip in front of them, in front of the computer or on the desk, and they actually point to the word as they see it in the sentence, all right? See, hear, physically, move, point. The fourth one, sentence strips, be the word. Oh, this is great for kindergarten, first grade, maybe some second grade. Try it and see what works. You write a sentence on a sentence strip. That is a piece of paper. Now, this sentence could be something from language experience. It could be a sentence taken from a book. It could be a sentence about students or something they have experienced. You read through the sentence together. Then you cut the sentence into individual words, hand different students a word, and ask them to come up. And you work to arrange themselves in order. What I like to do first is have them out of order, and as I tap them on the head, they say their word and mix them up until we tap them on the head and the sentence is correct. What I then do is have students give their word to a friend and repeat it once or twice. Now, these sentences can also be used to reinforce a target letter sound or pattern you are working at. See, systematic phonics doesn't always mean a workbook. You can do fun stuff with systematic phonics. And I put these in an envelope, write the sentence on the front, and save them for another day. So after a while, I have a whole bunch of them. Sentence strip mix-up. A similar idea. You record a sentence. This could be from a book that students are reading. This is a great post-reading activity. Language experience, whatever. Same thing. You give one or two students a sentence. You mix them up and see if they can arrange them into parts to make sense. Now, a game I use with some students is I record them to see if they can improve their time, just to make it fun. If I'm doing learning stations, I click a thing and they go on to the next station, and at each station there is a mixed-up sentence. Uh, 
Number five, that was uh, letter strip mix-up, sentence strip mix-up. Number six, letter bodies, primary age. Students see a word or with a, uh, a certain target vowel sound and they make their bodies the shape of that letter. That's a fun way to do it. Short A, they make a short A, long A, a longer A. I use this with the vowel sounds specifically to reinforce that. So they hear the word, they see the word, and they make their body into the word. Now, if you really want to be creative, and I do, I really want to be creative as a teacher. You can actually create dances based on letter patterns. Simply give a word, jet, jet, bat, bat, it. It, all right, and students make their letter pattern in time to music, and you can create fun little letter dances. What fun! What fun! I like having fun. Number seven, letter bodies to create words. All right, you give a group of students a secret word, and I usually focus on three letter words here, sometimes four, and they have to create the word using their bodies, and the goal is to get the class to guess what that word might be. Fun, fun, fun. If their group guesses the word, then they get to come up and do the next word. And all of these fun activities, anywhere from two to maybe 10 minutes or more if students are engaged having fun, keep doing it. Talking word parts. This is for phonemic awareness. They see a word, give a group of students a word, and you give them each the word, a word card with their part of the word, their phoneme underlined. When I tap there, our students have to verbalize their phoneme dog. D, d, ah, ah, g, g. All right? They do it in order until students can guess what their word is. Talking word parts. They each have a phoneme. They say out loud, and you see if other students can guess what that word is. Number nine. Word sorts. This is inductive analysis. This is fun. You have words on cards, individual cards, and students have to put them in groups based on letter patterns. All right. So if I am focusing on a letter pattern, say a beginning uh, blend, I have different beginning blends and students have to put them in groups so they get to notice the letter patterns. Now, I usually present the cards so they see them. We read through them together, then we mix them up. This is great if they do it in pairs because the talking that occurs. And you could do it several different ways. And you can mix and match different groups uh, and save them for later uh, uses. And you can have the same group and you say, okay, can you see some other group. So maybe once they make uh, groups based on uh, 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 vowel sounds, may, maybe next time they'll make a, a groups based on ending letters or beginning letters. All right. Very, the purpose is not for them to get your groups, but for them to begin to notice letters and letter patterns. That's how we sometimes recognize words while reading. We recognize letter patterns. They can also create groups based on meaning. And again, I put these in an envelope, save them for another day. Thumbs up. This is done with uh, kindergarten, first grade, maybe second grade. You decide. You are reading a book. Either two students are reading it together. Often this happens reading a big book where the teacher points to the words as the, he or she is reading the book to students. Could be done with a screen. But the important thing is that uh, students should have access to the text. They should see the text as you are reading. 
you identify a target letter sound or pattern. When that letter sound or pattern is accompanied in the book, they see the word, they raise their thumb or their hand. Nothing complicated, but again, they're seeing the word, they're hearing word, and they're physically raising their hand. Three modalities there. Oh yes, yeah, since they're reading and enjoying the book, it's also the emotional modality and the uh, uh, imaginal, imagination imaginal reality. I guess you could call it an imaginal modality. Imaginal, imaginable modality. You get the idea what I got, right? But here's the thing, and that was number 10. Ultimately, we don't want students to rely overly much on letter clues as they are reading. This stymies their growth. Yes, letter clues are important. Letter sounds and patterns are important, but there are three cueing systems. There's the phonological, which this one kind of hits, but there's also the semantic meaning or context and the syntactic gra uh, grammar in word order. We want to focus on all things because the ultimate purpose of reading is not to sound out words or identify words. It is to create meaning with print. And that's what we want the focus always to be. All right, number 11 is the neurological impress method. I use a form of this called scaffolded oral reading. Here, the student and the teacher reads a page or a passage out loud. Now, in some forms of this, the teacher points to the word and the student puts his or her hand on top of the teacher's hand, all right, as they are moving along. Now, I tend not to use that for a variety of reasons, okay, but you decide what you are comfortable with. But you are reading just a millisecond ahead. You're keeping a steady pace. So you're providing just a scaffold. So the student is seeing the word, hearing the word, speaking the word, reading out loud, and if they're moving their hand with the teacher, then they have that kinesthetic modality involved as well. That's described as a multi-century technique by flood and lap research there. All right, inquiry. You read a book or read a book together. First, enjoy the good book, all right? Imagination, emotion, enjoying the good book. Then you give students maybe one or two letter target sounds. They have to go back then and look for instances of those letter or target sounds with that letter pattern or uh, letter in it. And they can either use tally marks to indicate the number of times they see that word or they can write the actual word. Now I like to use tally marks because then with young students you can create bar graphs and you can compare and contrast. That's a form of inquiry because you're asking a question, hmm, how many words with the SH beginning blend are there in this story? Then you're using that data to answer the question. That's what inquiry is. That was 12. Number 13, replay analysis. Oh, this is good. This is very good. Students are given anywhere from three to six sentences. These sentences can have words with target letter patterns or sounds in them. For example, if you're trying to reinforce the short A, you don't always have to use stinking worksheets. You can reinforce it so students encounter that letter or letter pattern in meaningful context. Anyway, three to six sentences. Students read the sentence into an audio recorder of some kind. Then they listen to the sentences. 
as they listen to themselves reading the sentence, they underline any stumble words. Once they identify the stumble words, they listen again and underline any stumble words again. And they do this until fluency is achieved. So they're reading, they're seeing, they're hearing, and they're physically underlying stumble words. It usually takes only uh, one or two additional readings before fluency is achieved. The 14th one is keyboarding. All right, you can give them sentences with target letter patterns, but as they are keyboarding, they are having to actually move their fingers to find the, the letters that go with this. Now they can write their own sentences or you can give them sentences with target letter patterns. Now what I use with struggling readers, because oftentimes there is some letter processing issues here, I like to have color-coded keys so that the letters are clearly identified. Now, the absolute perfect one, and I haven't found such a keyboard, would have the vowels with different colors and the consonants with another color. And then, of course, all the numbers and surrounding keys would be uh, a third different color. So they can easily distinguish that. But any keyboarding activity is multimodal if they see the sentence, hear the sentence, and then they have to write the sentence which relates to letter-to-sound software. All right, this is number 15 and text-to-speech software. This is where, and you can buy programs relatively inexpensively, they press a letter on the keyboard, it makes a sound, they have different letters put together and it actually reads the words to students. They type a sentence and then they can have the computer read the complete sentence out loud to them. That's letter-to-sound and text-to-speech software. Now, most computers today come with text-to-speech software. You type, and then it reads it back to them. That is incredibly helpful as well. As writers, by the way, this is helpful. When I'm writing a book, it really helps to have that read back to me. And this is such an important tool you can use for struggling writers as well as readers. You catch things you wouldn't catch ordinarily. So as you are writing, or as students are writing, after each paragraph, have the computer read it out loud for you. You get a whole bunch of cool stuff. And number 16 is speech-to-text software. This should be available to all students, but struggling readers, and it's available on most computers today. You simply talk into the computer, and what you say appears on the screen. It could be a sentence or it could be the paragraph. And then, of course, it reads it back to you. But then students are able to actually see the words appearing, their words appearing on the screen as they are speaking. And if you want to achieve fluency, of course, you can have them read their writing back until fluency is achieved. That's number 16. Number 17, this is a great one as well. Oh, this is so cool. Which word doesn't look right? I dictate one to three sentences to the students. And if I want, this is used to reinforce a letter sound or pattern, each sentence contains at least one word with that letter sound or pattern in them. After each sentence, I ask the student to look back and, and, and I say, is there a word that doesn't look right? And about 98% of the time, they can find the word that is misspelled. If not, you point the student to that word. All right. Then, after that sentence, you show the complete 
sentence with the correct spelling. Students cross out the incorrectly spelled word and write the correct spelling on top. Now, the reason they simply put a line through it instead of erasing is that I want them to see the two versions. And I want them writing this one versus typing for a variety of reasons. By the way, I've noticed some struggling readers especially prefer the keyboard versus writing. And it's, that's for a variety of reasons. Anyway, uh, they cross out or put a line through the correct, the incorrect and write the correct on top so they can see the three versions. And after they do all three sentences, I ask them to reread until fluency is achieved. And again, this can be used to reinforce a letter sound or a pattern. This worked great with a partner because a partner could have the sentence in front of them, a sentence card. The student does it. Which word does it look right? Okay, then the, then the partner can flip the sentence over. This is a great partner activity and you can reverse roles. That was number 17. So they are reading, they are hearing, they are writing. Three modalities, all right? Nothing magic about that. You don't have to be specially trained to do this. You don't have to pay me $2,000. You can listen to this podcast for nothing. Imagine that. You're saving $2,000. Number 18, read good books. Absolutely. Making good books available for students at their independent level or below. And sometimes you have to have high-low books for struggling readers. Sometimes for emergent-level readers, they're using more letter clues than picture clues, or more picture clues than letter clues, but they are creating meaning with print. Part of reading good books as well is the teacher reading a book aloud to students to engage their imagination. That helps them um, internalize language structures sentence structure and uh, vocabulary words and concepts. Number 19, authentic writing. Students writing and sharing their thoughts. Imagine that. They're thinking, they're imagining, they are writing, and as they're writing, they are sounding things out. I like to use temporary spelling. Some people get freaked out about that, but we help them edit after they've got their ideas, not while they're writing. If they're using computer, course, they can see uh, the spell check after they've written, go back and attend to the words with the red line underneath them. If you have a struggling reader, a student with dyslexia, oftentimes they have a spell check machine that they can use. They can say, how do you spell it? And it will give them the spelling. That is assistive technology. I can do that with my gosh darn Alexa here in my office. I can say, how do you spell a word? I can say, what's the meaning of that word? We should have the same assistive technology available to our students as well. That was number 19, authentic writing, writing their thoughts, their ideas, sharing their writing with other students. There's that social part. And uh, number 20, connect books to students' lives. All right. Before reading a story, you may want to brainstorm similar thoughts or emotions or situations. So as you read the story, either silently or with students, they are able to make the connections to the story. There's that social connection, that emotional connection. All right. Uh, and 
creative, intelligent teachers know how to make these connections. And the last one, number 21, and I forgot, yeah, 21, that's it. Yep. Structured conversations around good books, where you create the structure where children or students can talk about the good books they've read. And you can do all sorts of learning log sorts of things in reaction to that book. All right. This has been um, a uh, podcast about multi-sensory reading instruction. This is often deemed necessary for students with dyslexia. Organizations uh, often insist that we in teacher preparation programs uh, teach this and schools use this. That's all well and fine. That doesn't mean we have to buy these expensive programs like Orton Gillingham uh, put out by for-profit entities. Good teachers always have and always will engage multiple modalities when teaching students. Multi-sensory instruction or multi-modile instruction, or in this case, meta-multi-modile instruction.